Hello, hello, friends, and welcome back to the Wholeheartedly Her podcast. I'm your host, Laura Pryor, and I am so glad to be back this week after taking last week off. I'm so grateful for all of you who understood how busy my life has been lately and that the podcast just didn't happen last week. I wanted to give the editing process my 100% effort for this episode because it's very important to me. So took last week off, spent a little more time editing it for this week, and we are back along with my voice. My voice is back, thankfully, except when I recorded this episode, it was not quite back. So you're stuck with no voice for one more episode. But guys, this episode was just, it's near and dear to my heart. It's a subject that I'm very passionate about, and I'm just so glad I got to sit down with my friend Brooke and discuss purity culture, which I know is a a topic that's so important to so many of you as well. Brooke is a believer, a wife to Nick, and a mom to one little boy. She is passionate about all things mental health, and she's actually in the process of becoming a licensed therapist. She plans to specialize in healing from spiritual abuse, purity culture, and church trauma. She is also interested in the areas of postpartum and grief counseling. In her spare time, you can find her having coffee dates with her friends, traveling, spending time with her family, or reading. You can catch her over at her Instagram, which will be in the description of this episode. Guys, my friend Brooke is so knowledgeable on this topic, and I am just so excited for you to listen to this episode we did. So grab a seat at the table, and welcome back to the Wholeheartedly Her podcast. All right, friends, welcome back to the podcast, and welcome to my friend Brooke. Brooke and I went to church Grew up in a little suburb of Oklahoma City together, went to church together our whole lives. Wow, we we went through some phases together, and I'm just so pumped that Brooke agreed to come on my podcast, talk about a super spicy subject. We're back on spicy subjects. I took a break for a little bit, but I couldn't take too long of a break. So welcome to the podcast, Brooke. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Also, just so everyone knows, Brooke and I are both under the weather with what we thought was allergies, but now we're thinking maybe we're just sick with the same like respiratory virus. So uh, you guys get two weeks in a row with me having no voice, which is so great for a podcast host. Yeah. Just tell us a little bit about like you, your life, what you do. Yeah. Just whatever you want to share with us. Okay. Yes. My name is Brooke Laramore. I am married. I have a seven month old. Laura and I have Baby's really close in age. Mm -hmm. And I just completed my master's degree in counseling. So I'm working on becoming a licensed therapist. It's been a long time coming, but that is what my life looks like right now. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about how we met because I think that's really fun. So we, I think we had gone to church together a little, not a little, it was a big church in a little town. And I feel like half the town goes to the church and we I went on my first mission trip I don't know if it was your first missions trip to Port Arthur Texas which is so wild because my son is named Arthur not even named after Port Arthur obviously but like I was thinking about that recently but yeah so we just kind of met bonded over Jesus and sports and we are a lot different than we were then now yeah (laughs) oh for sure yeah yeah I like oh my gosh I'm wearing a tank top like that's just in and of itself I'm wearing a tank top with nothing over it like that's so scandalous for me like especially back like when did we meet like I'm sure we're verging on like 13 years maybe sometime in high school and I 
Yeah. It was like, I think you might have been in middle school. Yeah. When we became oh, actual man. friends. Poor Arthur mm-hmm. and all our, our vegetable puns that we were doing. Yeah. Do Good times. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, Chive got a feeling. We yeah. we would make um what do they call them? <laughs> what do you call it when you like put your own lyrics to a song? Oh, I don't know, like their own remix or something. Like remix, yeah. We would remix like Chive Got Art, a Feeling. Artichoke you for that. Oh that. yeah. We had a lot of them. And we thought we were yeah. just hilarious. We thought we were so funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh, oh good times. Good well yes, thank goodness we've grown since then. Um, okay, so on to like the subject of the day instead of our stupid vegetable puns, which we could go on forever on those because those are actually really hilarious. Um, so we are obviously the topic of today's um podcast episode is let's talk about purity culture. Um, I titled it that because I was like, I'm just gonna make a play on like that song um where they talk where they're like let's talk about sex baby oh yeah and i can't sing so i'm not gonna sing the rest but let's talk about purity culture this is something that brooke and i have actually had many private discussions over because it's impacted us both quite a bit as women and i think it's something that a lot of people don't think about how it impacts women especially when it's introduced at such a young age and when it's really just molded into the how the church teaches um women about sex and sex life and you know all the things that come with that and obviously teaching and talking about that to young girls is it has to be done in a very careful way um because so often girls will find their worth in how you present this topic to them so that can be either very life-giving or it can be very harmful And so I just wanted to have a public conversation with Brooke because I think we're pretty well on the same page about purity culture. Um, But like I said, we've both been impacted by it. So let's just get into it. So first off, like Brooke, talk to us, like what is purity culture? How would you define that? Is there like a actual, how would you like define purity culture? So Upon doing my own research, because I was not alive during this time, it kind of started after there was this like sexual revu- like revolution in the 60s and 70s, you know, think hippie movement, Woodstock, all of that. People were just very like free sexually. And so then there's like this rise in like people who had an AIDS diagnosis, HIV. And so, you know, those people were trying to parent their kids in a different way. And the government was really trying to figure out kind of how do we do sex education in our schools and what does that look like? And there was a, there's a guy named Joshua Harris, I think he, so that was kind of like a big catalyst for that movement. I mean, he even advocated for like not kissing your uh, spouse until marriage. He was the guy who wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And yes. that was like a whole, whole, like, cause we read that in school. I went to a private school. I think I've mentioned that before in, in a different episode. Yeah, that was in our Bible class in like seventh grade, required reading. And we read it. And like in the moment, I was like, oh, wow, there's a guy out there who's not going to kiss anyone but me, like gave me such hope. And then obviously I get out in the real world. I'm like, what kind of crock of crap is this? And so, yeah, no, very familiar with Josh Harris and his 
I'm pretty sure he's like a freaking atheist and he's divorced now. So yeah, he has since renounced his book and deconstructed from his faith altogether. Um, wow. So that's that's sad, obviously, you know, to be so pivotal in that movement and then to come back and say I was wrong. But that also like speaks volumes, you know, to the effects right. of that, I think. Um, so anyways, I would say purity culture is like, you know, the way that a group of people in, a, in society view sexuality and what the norms are. So like in the Christian church, obviously for us, the norms were you don't have sex until you're married. Really don't touch anybody until you're married. Like, mm-hmm. you know, be very modest, be very mindful of what you wear, just kind of all of those things. So I would say it's just kind of like a set of like cultural norms and what we believe about what the Bible says about purity, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good definition. Cause I think that people just think of it as like, well, purity culture is just like abstinence is best. And there's just so much more to it than that. And I don't think people really realize the origins of it. And I never really thought about it until I started kind of thinking about it for this podcast episode. I just know that like, in my mind, what I know that how purity culture has looked in my life and how it's like affected me. So for you personally, and like I said, you can get like as deep or as shallow as you want on this. How has purity culture like affected you or like not even like affected, like as if I'm assuming that it's had like this horrible negative effect on you, but how have you seen purity culture in your life and how has it like affected you either positively or negatively? Yeah. So, you know, kind of on the deeper end, I won't go too far into this. You know, I feel like before I was married, I definitely like made some mistakes. And like I said, I'm not going to go into that, but I feel like the earth shattering feelings that I had of like, you know, the shame and just feeling like, you know, my worth wasn't, you know, the same and, and just like, I don't know. I mean, and I, and I know a lot of people have felt this way, even if it was just like making out with their boyfriend or, you know, touching, you know, things like that. And it's like, you just have this like enormous guilt and that Mm kind of just kind of sticks with you. And then you're like, feel anxious when you go to church and things like that. Um, But even more so like in marriage, whenever everything's supposed to be good and okay, like now it's okay that like, Mm -hmm. it's like, we feel like when we get married, we're going to be able to flip this switch and just be like, okay, I've been taught my whole life that this is like taboo and bad and scary and like wrong. But then as soon as I'm married, I'm supposed to like all of a sudden feel free and enjoy it and yeah. feel no guilt and shame. And that just wasn't the case. Like I, that's something right. I've, I struggle with like in marriage because it was so deeply ingrained in my head. And I, and I have a lot of friends that have said the same thing, you know, I mean, and just like feeling shame over, over my body and like, struggling even now with like oh is this dress like too short or like oh that's gonna show like a little bit of cleavage like is that gonna make people think that I'm like a certain way and so I feel like it really has penetrated so many places in my life and so working to like deconstruct that has been really tough yeah and I think there's like I do think that there is, like, beauty and modesty. Like, I personally, like, I do, like, I mean, you've known me for a long time. I 
I dress on the modest side. I really do. But also I don't have boobs. So that's pretty easy <laughs> for me to do. I've never been like, oh my gosh, pull that shirt up. You're showing cleavage. Like I barely have a boob. Like having a kid has a boob. <laughs> no, I have to. I promise. <laughs> Not that anyone needs to know that. But like, like I literally have like I up until I had Arthur, I could wear the sports bras I wore in middle school. I've never oh, had boobs. Wow. Yeah, I know. So, yeah. So, like, I think there is beauty in, like, dressing modestly. Like, I do think there is biblicalness in, you know, dressing modestly. But, like, also, if you're dressing modestly just because you've been told, like, oh, well, I will be a stumbling block. Mm -hmm. I don't dress modestly. That's the wrong reason. Like, I think you should want to dress modestly just as I think, like, you know, with all biblical things, you should want to do it to serve the Lord and to bring him glory. But yeah. I think it's become so much like, especially at my private Christian school, we had to wear shorts that were no shorter than two inches above the kneecap, not the top of the knee, the kneecap. Like, I was out there wearing Bermuda shorts, which oh. again, whatever. Yeah, it was. And it was just like, it was this overthinking of oh, what do I need to wear so I'm not a temptation for the boys? Whereas the boys, like, there wasn't a dress. I mean, there was a dress code, like, wear a shirt, but that was it. Like, and at, like, school swim parties, it was so ingrained in us. Like, we were wearing T-shirts over our swimsuits, but the boys were out there in just their swim trunks because we were the problem. We were the reason that boys were stumbling. And so I think that's the problem. Like, yes, like, if I ever have a daughter, I will want her to dress mod and, and even with Ar- Arthur I will want him to dress modestly and that's going to take some figuring out for me because honestly I've never been told like what is modesty for boys you don't have these little modesty conferences you know oh. at church for boys it's girls only these purity yes it's only for girls and so it's just like yes like and I've said this like 15 times now like there is beauty in dressing modestly but like do it because you feel that like your body is a temple and like you want to glorify God with your body whereas you shouldn't be doing it because you're the reason a boy's gonna freaking stumble I don't know I agree with that here's my hot take though and you might not agree with me on this no that's okay a lot of the a lot of this purity culture stuff has led into kind of the rape culture in our country of like oh absolutely no I totally agree with you on that you know what were you wearing that night? Were you asking for it? And I know that sounds extreme, but mm-hmm. it's it's real. Like when I was a waitress in a past life, I had a pretty bad sexual harassment thing that happened. And my boss that was a female, like literally asked like what I did to provoke it and like what I was wearing, what my body language was, you know? And that just like, I don't know. And she had done the same thing with a coworker. Like somebody had inappropriately slapped her in the freezer, the big freezer. And she was like, well, your jeans are really tight, you know? And so it's just like, I know that sounds like hitting me. I'm not kidding. I, and I, if I could go back, I would have handled that situation a lot differently. But I was in a place then where I would stand up for myself and advocate. Mm -hmm. And I am now Like that would never fly with me now, but you know, people think that that sounds extreme when people like post about it, but like it's real and it happens and yeah. it's 
because people view women in that light and they give us the responsibility of controlling someone else's sexual temptation. Right. Really wrong. Right. Well, and that's why, like, because I feel like when you give that to honestly, like when you're saying what a woman is wearing has a direct effect on a man's reaction to that, you're giving the man agency over that. Yeah. You're not leaving the woman like 100% agency over her body, you know? It's like giving permission to the boy like, oh, well, she was wearing spaghetti straps, so that's why I was aroused around her. Like, no, that's bullcrap. Control yourself. If the Bible does tell us to, you know, dress modestly, the Bible also tells us to have self-control. So, you know. I think kind of that you had one of the questions on there about like purity culture for guys. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that, like on the flip side of that, like, yes, like it's their responsibility. But then I think something else that I feel like we've noticed is that it made young guys and boys feel like they were just these sex crazed animals that couldn't be controlled, Mm -hmm. control themselves. And so it was up to us to do that. And so I feel like it was bad for them too. And not just for the girls, but like just making them feel like they're just like these monsters that like need someone else. That's so true. And I, yeah. And I just feel like it's, it was just bad for everyone the way that it was taught, you know? Right. And well, like for girls, it's like, and this is like a whole different, not a whole different topic. It kind of ties in, but like we're taught to be like, be lady. Like we go to Miss Manners classes and we go to, you know, cause I mean, and I love that stuff. Like I love a good tea party, but like we're taught like, this is what, like, what would Miss Manners do? We're taught to, like, dress modestly. We're taught to, you know, well, ladylike is, you know, staying clean and being quiet. Not, like, literally never talking, but just, like, keeping a calm and gentle tone in our voice. But when it comes to boys, it's, you know, when they screw up, it's just like, oh, well, boys will be boys. And it's just giving them that mental permission, just like, oh, well, I'm a boy. I don't have self-control. And like you're, we're both boy moms now. And that's like the complete opposite of how I want to raise my son. Like, no, in the Bible, it doesn't say thou shalt have self-control. Women have more than men. So, you know, figure that out. No, it just says have self-control. Yeah. That's it. It's a fruit of the spirit. It doesn't say it's a fruit of the spirit for women. Boys don't have different fruits of the spirit. Yeah. Like, no, if we, like we, if we have to control ourselves yeah you know if it you know it's just it's so stupid it's such a freaking like uh what's the word i'm looking for double standard yes it's such a double standard and so yeah and i think that's one of the biggest like that you just said the nail on the head like it just gives them that type of permission to just be like oh yeah i guess i'm sex crazy animal it's not my fault it's what she was wearing or you know i was just tempted there was no accountability for them and i'm mm-hmm. and i and I truly don't think it's their fault. I I truly no. think it was, the, it was the the adults and the leaders of that movement. I don't think it was their fault. But looking back on it, like I think, like what a cool opportunity you and I have to like raise young men that mm-hmm. respect women and respect people of all kinds and know what their body does and what's natural about their body and know that they have to be held accountable and have self-control like you said and so yeah. I think it's cool that we have the opportunity you know as boy moms yeah. to be to raise the boys that we wish we were around when we were younger you know right and I think so obviously like my mother-in-law has she has two sons so she you know I married the oldest one and then there's he, Ian has a brother 
And I think how she actually went about it was really good. I mean, obviously she never had daughters, but um, being the pastor's wife, they had friends. I mean, they had kids from the church over all the time. And so um, she did, you know, when they were in the pool, she was like, yeah, girls have to wear t-shirts, but so do boys. Everyone had to wear a t-shirt. So it wasn't like, you know, boys get, yeah, she wasn't like (laughs) boys get to expose themselves, but girls don't. And I mean, she did say like no bikinis and like whatever. She sets the rules, but it was the fact that it wasn't a double standard for boys and girls. It was like everyone's clothed here because this is for fun, not for looking. <laughs> like we're I just having fun. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, if yeah. we're all going to be weird and be soaked down in our heavy t-shirts, like let's all do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like I can obviously like acknowledge the fact that like I was once a teenage girl. I was around teenage boys even though the Bible says self-control, sometimes there is not much. And so even just like, you know, being a responsible chaperone and being like, hey, like, you know, we're going to do what we can to just make this a fun environment and not turn it into something it isn't. So like, I can appreciate that about um, what my my mother-in-law did. So we've talked about, you know, how you kind of encountered purity culture. Um, I want to talk about like, were there specific examples in your life? Like looking back, you're like, wow, that was super like, purity culture and because we talked about how there's such a double standard for men and women and so do you remember any specific examples from like growing up how that was just kind of ingrained in your brain um how your worth was tied to your purity like I don't want to bring up like past traumas or anything if that's like not something you want to talk about but I'm just trying to remember like at church like how how our pastors went about that so I feel and you don't have to name names or anything. I'm just no, trying to think I'm of like not, examples. I know because <laughs> people from our church are probably going to listen to this. I remember what immediately comes to my mind was like, I don't know if you ever went to any of like, you know, we would go to like those like girls or like women's conferences. Did you mm-hmm. ever go to any of those? I think maybe in high school because I wasn't super, honestly, I wasn't super involved in the church until high school. I was thinking about. So, like, when we would go to those, like, conferences, there was always kind of the, like, they would have, like, breakout groups, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, gender-specific. Yeah. And I remember, like, there being, like, groups about, like, purity and things like that. But I don't really remember them being, like, for boys. Like, I feel like it was just, like, the girls group. Like, I mean, obviously, if I was at a girls' conference, there was only girls. But when there was both. Right. But, like, there was always kind of this you know, those little breakout discussions. And I feel like the conversation was always kind of the same of like, you know, kind of like what you said, like your body's a temple, the stumbling block was brought up a lot. Um, mm. You know, things like, mod- <laughs> I would say modest is hottest because it makes yeah. me laugh. Oh my gosh, um, modest is hottest. Leave room for Jesus, you know, don't do anything that you wouldn't want God watching, like as if God's not, always watching right yeah (laughs) whatever but um and then like the the purity rings I don't know if you had one oh I had multiple because I lost one and then I got another one you lost your purity ring gas I know I lost my purity (laughs) no I left it I actually funnily enough I left it at a swim party um and I never found it yeah and so my mom took me to Mardell's to pick out a new one Love Not that it. she like forced that on me. I wanted to. Like I wanted to pick out a new purity ring. Yeah. My parents didn't give me a purity ring. I wanted that 
because it was like the it thing or whatever the true love waits thing where like people were like signing contracts like i know that my i think my brother was kind of in the middle of that he was a few years older than me i know that was like a big thing that was like a movement to like sign this contract like i Mm -hmm. promise that i'll be sexually pure till marriage you know whatever yeah but yeah so like the breakout groups the purity ring um those are kind of my two that came to the forefront of my mind did you have any that you were thinking of no I honestly and like obviously I'm not a dude so I can't vouch for whatever they would ever talk about but I feel like it was always like these girls conferences or like girls girls night in or whatever and it would be like fun or like sleepover I don't know I can't quite remember because that's been like 10 plus years ago but I just feel like it was always like if we had a girls thing it was always focused on purity and it was advertised as such no one was private about it um but then the boys it was like let's go do do things like paintball and play basketball and stuff like that and like again I was never there I don't know it was discussed but I feel like it wasn't purity because if you talk about purity of boys you have to get into pornography I feel like if I was teaching a dude's like purity culture session and like no one wants to touch pornography like that is something that I feel like until recently has not been talked about with adolescent boys but here's the thing that's a thing with adolescent girls too but you would never bring that oh it is but again you would never bring it up no one wants to talk about pornography for boys or girls you know, yeah. another example just came to my mind. The you said the thing above your knee, like I think it was like a mm-hmm. dollar bill was like above. Oh, like, yes, it was like it, it, on your shoulder or on your knee. There had to be like a dollar bill. I had people measure me before, and I was like, but "This is tall. Like, what are you supposed to do? Make your own clothes?" Oh my gosh, I literally got sent home from school a couple times for like the dress code police from a public school. Whoa. Speaking of public school. Our sex ed in eighth yeah. grade was taught by a different church in our town. They came in oh and did the teaching, and you can guess what it was: hundred percent abstinence. We're going to show you the scariest pictures of STDs we can find. Um, basically, like you're going to be damaged goods. You'll never be able to get this back. And like, mm-hmm. like okay, abstinence is great, and it's a good yeah. thing. But scare tactics that does not work. We did and not especially have- like that's so demeaning to people who have already had sex like yes and here and honestly like the idea of abstinence is a very christian thing and then when you're talking in a public school you're not talking to all christians so that's not really it's not a set moral that's not an automatic moral for christians first off because i mean all christians are different um but that's not a set moral for everyone in a public school so that's just so like it makes it i would i would feel disgusting if i were to be taught that and i had already had sex well and think about the people that have been sexually abused by people in their life yes oh my gosh yes they're probably sitting there thinking the same thing Mm -hmm. but it was just it blew my mind like in the time i didn't really think much about it but looking back i'm like why did the church teach that at a public i mean we're a big school yeah and we actually had one of the highest teen pregnancy rates in the state oh yeah yeah um but it actually is a state by state like law of like um if you have to provide comprehensive sex education um I was trying to find I had like a document I was trying to see if I could find it and so it's just like while we want them to be abstinent as children and teenagers 
that's not always realistic. And so it's like, right. how do we best protect them? Especially like in a public school. Like, I just feel like that was so weird. I don't know. Right. Well, and like going back to the teen pregnancy thing, like I feel like we could really cut down on teen pregnancy if we actually taught how a woman's cycle works. Like granted, every yeah. woman's different. Mine and yours are not the same, I'm sure. But like I was talking with uh, last week's episode um, guest, we were just talking about how women can really only get pregnant like I think it's like five to ten days out of the month, like on average. And granted, that's again different. But if you just taught girls like, hey, if you're gonna do it, like just don't do it on these five days, please, for the love of God, like just don't. Just try to control yourself, you know, a few days out of the month, and then like. Obviously, like, I do want to teach my kids, like, abstinence because I think, you know, I I think that's a biblical, uh, like, kind of tenant, I guess. Abstinence um, is the best birth control, period. Right. Obviously. obviously. But, and it's yeah. just the safest because you don't know where everyone else has been. Like, you know, yeah. even just trying to keep your body, like, healthy and rid of STDs. And so, yeah. obviously, like, that's – I think that's, you know, what a lot of people want for their kid. But at the same time, like you said, like – you can want the world for your kid and things happen like they yep. slip up, they are abused, you know, there's there's a whole multitude of things. And so it's like, no, I'm not just going to go out and buy my daughter birth control pills, but I also want her to be informed about her body and her cycle. And I think that's a, such a big letdown when it comes to sex ed. Um yeah, I mean, obviously within public schools because like a period one too. I think in like fourth or fifth grade, and I feel really? like that was weird. Like I, <laughs> I feel like that was one yeah. of the ones where the boys were like playing dodgeball or something. I don't know what they were doing. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's like people think that like your period is so like simple. But like you said, everyone's just different, and like people don't always know like how it works when you're ovulating and what days to avoid. And so, yeah, I feel like mm -hmm. I agree with that. Just having that comprehensive education. My mom did that. Uh, did you do like the body book? You remember that? The American girl book. Yes. The Karen keeping of you. Yes. And oh, I, oh. Yeah. I read that book backwards forwards because like my school, again, private, little private Christian school, we didn't have sex ed. I did not know what sex was, how babies were made <laughs> for a very long time. Um, oh. Yeah. That's the good thing about public school. You just get dunked into everything. And right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there is beauty in like the public school system because you really are like it is so many. It's like a melting pot of people, which is I think can be great. I do think there's pros and cons to public school. I mean, as a private school kid, both my parents were public school teachers. So like I've seen like the the good, the bad and the ugly um, on both sides. And so but I mean, one of the pros of public school is like you see everything and you get a full dose of everything and so that's good and bad truly right exactly we kind of like talked a little bit about purity culture for guys but like do you think that guys are as like they have this idea as ingrained in their head as girls do or is it kind of like a one-sided topic if any guys are listening you can let me know if I was wrong but I feel like it's not as bad because, like, we were talking about the accountability, I feel like, was more so on our shoulders. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I've talked to my husband about it. You know, he grew up in kind of a similar yeah. background. And I feel like, like, he recognizes it, but I don't think he felt the effects of it as much as I did. Yeah. Uh, 
even today, you know? Um, but I do think that, you know, them having to learn and kind of process through the whole, like, I'm not a sex crazy animal. I can control myself. I can respect somebody else. Nobody owes me anything. You know, I don't think every guy thinks like that, but I mean, that's kind of where my mind's going of, you know, kind of learning to like take accountability for their like own impulses. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I I mean, like I said earlier, like I was, you know, I never went to like one, like we split up between girls and boys, but I just feel like when, even like in a mixed company, when the idea of purity was talked about, it was just very much in like, like it was like, guys control yourself, but like girls don't give them a reason to need to control themselves because the buck should stop with you pretty much. Like, I don't know. I don't remember this ever being talked about at our church, but I have heard the analogy used in churches before. And I know you're going to cringe when I say this one. Um, the flower. The, I think, who was that? Was that, um, it, it's a, it's a famous evangelist. I feel like I want to say John MacArthur, but I don't know if that's correct. Who this originally came up? Slammed Beth Moore. Oh that's yeah. That might make sense actually. Um, I, I've heard the analogy before of like, and this is being talked about in mixed company where the pastor's like, okay, here's a flower, you know, pass that flower around, smell it, look at it. Isn't it so pretty? Doesn't it smell so good? You know, blah, blah, blah. And so then, you know, it goes through a multitude of people's hands and, you know, then he like, it comes back to him and he's like, you know, now that everyone's touched it and, you know, looked at it and smelled it and some of you even took a piece of it, it's not as pretty and it's a little worn out and it's a little more droopy than it was when I originally passed around the room. He's like, who would want a flower like that? You, you know, you need to save, like, you know, you need to save like your purity for one man. And it's like, when I first heard that analogy, I was like, um, Jesus wants that. Jesus still wants that flower. Because Jesus made that flower in the image of him. And no matter what that flower has been through, at the end of the day, he's still the creator and the author of that flower. And for those of you who are not getting this, it's a purity analogy. And they're pretty much saying, like, girls go around and, you know, oh, don't, don't be touched by another man. Don't give a piece of you to another man. Like, who wants that? And so... Um, and I just always feel like it was just very directed towards the females in the group. And like I said earlier, like, yeah, yes, they, I, I do feel like, especially the pastors at our church and like the other churches that I've gone to, like, yeah, they always did like, you know, we're intentional about, you know, boys control yourselves. But I also feel like it was, it was kind of an afterthought. It was like the buck should stop with the girls. They should not, you know, dress or they should not tempt and it's like, why can't we just all be on equal playing ground? Yeah. And it it seems a little ironic to me. And I know you had a different podcast about this, about like, you know, women and their roles in the church and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. But I feel like it seems a little ironic, you know, for people who believe that the man is the head of the household, but like all of this responsibility falls on the woman. And like, right. I find that to be very ironic. I just, when you were talking about the flower, I've definitely heard that before it brought back a memory and I don't know if this was at church or if it was at that sex ed thing at school, mm-hmm. there was like a piece of tape and they would like stick it, like you would stick it on someone else's arm and you would just keep sticking it on people and then yeah. you would see like the residue. Yeah. And it was kind of that same message of like, 
once you've been around, you can't get it back, you know, like once you're damaged goods, like that's what you are, you know? And I, and I feel like a lot of people really need a lot of healing in that area of like, okay, I might've messed up or I might've done this or that, or I might feel this shame about myself, you know, but like you said, God is, you know, he still loves you and cares for you and created you and still views you as beautiful and whole. And I think that's going to be a lot of my life's work as a therapist is like helping people heal from that. Because I think a lot of people have deconstructed and walked away from the church. And I think that you can deconstruct and reconstruct. And I feel like that's kind Mm -hmm. of what I've been doing. And so I just really hope to like be able to help bridge the gap for people that, you know, feel far from Jesus because of like the hurt that the church has caused them and like help them to like find him again. And that's just kind of like what I feel really passionate about right now. Yeah. And like, I don't think we're here to like completely trash the idea of sex ed within like obviously public schools or even the encouragement of abstinence within a church. And like, I obviously, like I've already said, we, I I have an appreciation for it, but I think the problem that we have is that so often and I really I think you can make the argument for boys and girls that your worth is like inherently tied back to your purity in your sex life and it's like there are so many other reasons that we are not worthy of like what Jesus did for us like there are so many and like obviously like if you sin you sin like like obviously there is sin in the world we are sinners as humans we we sin and you know that comes around in many different forms but like just solely tying your worth in Christ back to your sex life and things that may or may not have been within your control. That's just, that's the problem that I have because again, like you kind of said it in the beginning, we are taught over and over again, don't have sex, don't have sex till marriage. And it's just, it's put in this bad light. And it's like, sex is one of the first things that God created. Like it is beautiful. And obviously like literal life comes from sex and just the fact that within, I guess, especially the Bible Belt, I can't really vouch for outside the Bible Belt, um, but within the Bible Belt, so often it is, you know, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. And then it's like just this magical like, okay, now it's good and fine. And it's like we have got to present this in a different light. We have got to present this as, yes, abstinence is biblical and the Lord does want us to save our for that one person that we marry but also god doesn't want us to cheat god doesn't want us to lie god sure as heck doesn't want us to view pornography and hey like god doesn't want us to lie and god doesn't want to like you know 10 commandments god wants Don't us to respect our parents greater than the other ones like they're yeah, all yeah exactly like a sin is a sin in the lord's eyes and they're all serious like i think when people say like they're all sins in the Lord's eyes, it just kind of like, like belittles how serious like sin mm-hmm. is. And yeah. it's what separates us from Jesus. And I think we should put more emphasis on the fact that like we are screwed up, messed up people. And every day we do not deserve the grace that God gives us. Yeah. But one of like one of those things is not worse than the other. They are all sinful in God's eyes. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but we did have a few of like the Instagram 
question box submissions and you guys have really got to step your, your game on submitting questions because I don't want to have to submit questions to my own freaking podcast <laughs> um but a few of you did submit and I think <clears throat> that that was good someone just said oof I had a lot and then said nothing I was like I want to hear your thoughts so many words, you have, so many words yeah <laughs> yeah like dm me maybe she was in my dms one of my followers did dm me outside the question box and she just like had some thoughts she says you know just some thoughts i am so thankful that i had a youth pastor in high school that separated purity from sexuality he and his wife would always remind us that if purity had a direct correlation with having sex before marriage or sex itself then we would all become impure when we got married but rather we don't have our own purity aside from jesus and all of our actions have the ability to pull us towards or away from him. I had a lot of friends that had crazy experience with ways their pastors approach sexuality, especially with females. Shocker. And I'm glad that someone was there to remind me that what I did or didn't do wasn't going to change God's perception of me. I am very glad that she had such great examples. And the fact that like the youth pastor and the wife did that as like a tag team. I think that's so important usually the youth pastor is like viewed as you know the leader of the youth and the fact that it was both both a husband and wife kind of like tag teaming it that I feel like people sleep on that and that's really important to do I really like that reminds me of of someone um youth pastor's wife that was very candid and open with us as girls and I yeah shout out to you you know who you are her sharing some personal experience and feeling like she was actually being like open and honest with us and that mm-hmm. i think that was like at their house for something we were doing and and yeah. i i really i really appreciate that and i always really appreciated her they yeah. did tag team it that specific youth pastor and his wife were always very i never felt put down by them yeah they were great someone said i wish the church put as much emphasis on purity for boys as they do girls yeah and i mean there's nothing really more to address there but yeah um purity culture should also address porn addiction yes for men and women yeah i feel like it was probably college before i knew that women could be affected by pornography that was such and i barely even knew what pornography was even in high school yeah i knew it was bad and i knew that boys did it yeah so i feel like that's just so important like honestly of all the things we could address in purity culture conferences or purity conferences or whatever porn should be in there because especially now i mean i i guess maybe back in our day it wasn't as prevalent because social media was barely a thing and i don't think it was as accessible but i feel like these days it's just so so freely accessible and that's something that i hope that more churches and youth groups are addressing i think that goes back to the point of like men are allowed to be more sexual than women like because no one Mm -hmm. brought up that point of like younger females like struggling with pornography or things like that or the m word dare i say um, oh my gosh you can say the m word on my podcast (laughs) no but but really like that just kind of go that was like another thing with purity culture like the boys are inherently more sexual and we're not like like women are just as sexual um type of beings so yeah, that just kind of brought that to my mind, but yeah, and that's so true. It's just like it's almost expected that the woman I don't know how to say this super nicely. It's almost expected that in purity culture that the woman is the stumbling block 
and the man is the sex craze maniac. Yeah. Exactly. It's never expected to be the opposite way. And again, I, I think it's because men and women are wired differently. Like, but God created sex for both. And so I think you can come about, like you can come about like talking about this to men and women a little bit differently, but I think the same point should be still be hit on. Yeah. The premise and is I, yeah. right. I feel like within like church purity culture there were two just two different premises and that's why they separated us as boys and girls like it was just never something that we could talk about in the same room and i do think to an extent that's fine because especially like middle school girls and boys there's just gonna be a lot of like giggling and you know oh my gosh she's a penis like i think i think that that is appropriate for a time but i feel like once like you're older and if you're going to expect kids to be more mature talk about sex in the same room with boys and girls yeah god made it for both it's in the Bible. If you can talk about the Bible in the same room. Yeah. You know? Agree. <sighs> Anyways. Okay. One of my friends asked, do you think Christians who grew up in purity culture have a worse view of sex than non-Christians? Probably. <laughs> I would say so. Because it's that idea <clears throat> that like, oh, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Oh, wait. Now it's good. Yeah. And I think like when I said like we didn't have comprehensive sex education, we didn't understand how our bodies worked. And so I think that a lot of Christians have had like sexual dysfunctions, like vaginismus is a big one, which is what just is like that? pain when you're having sex. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's a big one because you feel the shame. And so like your body just like tenses up. Mm-hmm. And so like, I know like quite a few people that didn't have sex. So they were married that have struggled with that and have had to, um, you know, do like pelvic floor therapy and stuff. Right. Yeah. That's a big one. Um, or just like having anxiety and not knowing like how to like let yourself enjoy it because of all the shame wrapped around it. If that, right. Yeah. Yeah. Do yeah. you do you feel like you had like this fantasy in your head of like, oh my gosh, like my wedding night's gonna be perfect? Like I thought about oh, it all these yes. years. And then you get there and you're like, Okay, this is not like Yeah, I wouldn't say like, like be bad. Right. Like I wouldn't say I thought about it like a lot for like for my whole life because I was more worried about just having a boyfriend. I was like, yeah. well, if I can get a boyfriend first, that'd be great. But once we were engaged and like going through premarital counseling and talking about the reality of a wedding night, and then Ian and I, we actually did have a very healthy, like we had a lot of healthy talks about sex. We were very open about sex because we were very open from the get-go when, when we started dating, like that was going to be reserved for marriage for us. So like we were very open about it, but I don't think we, I think because we were so open and talked about it, not like a lot we didn't just talk about sex all night but like we we just had a very like good communication about it I think that's the extent of where mentally I got with it and it was never like a reality to me you know what what I'm saying and so it was like I would be like oh yeah you know we're gonna have sex on our wedding night but then once it came down to it it was like what in the H-E double hockey sticks is happening right now right (laughs) I was freaked out and maybe that had something to do with purity culture. I obviously was not. No, it wasn't like, no. like, but like, I just the idea of like doing, like, I don't know. That I also felt like, like you're letting go of a part of yourself too, because yes, you felt like yes. once you lose it, you can't get it back. And like, even though you lost it to the person you wanted to lose it to, like, right. I hate that phrase. You didn't lose anything, but you know what I mean? Like, right. You didn't lose anything. Yeah. It was just like this like emotional feeling like that just happened. And I think that's healthy because it wasn't just like, you know, 
meaningless sex. It was like, you know, yeah. I like, you know, this is biblical. This is what's supposed to happen. Like, it's what a husband and wife are supposed to do. And so, um, yeah, I don't even know how we got on that subject, but <laughs> oh yes, that Christians have a different like yes perspective <clears throat> of it that have been like inundated with purity culture. Yes, yes, absolutely. That was a very long answer to say yes, but <laughs> yeah, yes, okay. I agree. Okay, what was another question? Oh, we just touched on this pretty much too. Do you think purity culture affects views of sex into marriage? Yeah, absolutely. I won't yeah. even repeat what I just said because yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you think this is kind of like these next two questions kind of go together? Is purity culture more damaging than helpful? And do you think anything healthy or productive came from purity culture? I think the purity culture movement itself was harmful. I don't mm-hmm. think the intent of it was bad. Yeah, I would. Uh, agree. Yeah, and I think like the emphasis on abstinence that came from purity culture was good or maybe intended to be good how they presented it was poor I believe um so yeah and I think that can be said of a lot of movements I do think there's a lot of movements that are well intended but what they turn into or just kind of maybe at their core it's like "Mm, that's not that's not it sis that's not going to go over well in the long run um like and I, I think of the Me Too movement. I think a lot of right. negative stigma has been around that. I think the intent of it was good mm-hmm. to give a voice to survivors, you know. But I think it sometimes movements can just be bad. Okay, one last question: mm. How can we talk to our children about sex in a healthy way? That's a good mm. one. I'm gonna let you answer this because you're the therapist and you're okay. probably better educated <laughs> than I am. Well, I'm still learning, but. I think having continual conversations is important. So like when they're little, I think calling body parts by what they actually are is important. Don't don't say cookie or muffin or whatever. Yes. Cupcake, nothing like that. We want to be clear about what our body parts are and, you know, we want to be honest and make sure and, and tell our kids like, if anything happens, someone touches you, you know, things like that. Like you need to tell me and like, don't feel ashamed, you know, things like that. And then just being honest as they get older with age appropriate, if you want to use books, like, you know, we did the body book or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, making sure they understand how their body works and you know, that, you know, sexuality is normal. I think that's what I'm going to do is just be very like honest about how his body works, you know? And, encourage him to ask questions because I think like our generation of like our parents I think they just like it was just kind of taboo because it was taboo with their parents to like right right about it so I just want to make sure that my kids feel like we can have that conversation you know and then as they get older you know have the conversations about abstinence is great I would love for you to be abstinent you know Mm -hmm. but if you feel like you can't like, let's talk about it, you know? So I think just, like, sexual education is important. Okay. And just, like, not leaving it up to someone else, like, the church or school. Like, yes. like let those conversations be had around, the like, the dinner table and, like, at home. Yes. I think that's what I would say. Well, I've had you on here for way too long. I'm so <laughs> sorry to take such a big chunk out of your day. Oh, you're um, good. But before I let you go, tell us um, where to find you on social media. So um, the listeners can connect with you and 
I also asked this of last week's guest and I really liked it. Do you have any like podcasts or books or um, social media people that you like to follow or listen to or read from um, on this topic topic that we've talked about today? Yeah. Um, so I've been in the process of transitioning my Instagram to more of a professional page. So you can find me at Ice Coffee and Therapy. I'm always drinking coffee. And I've been kind of starting to share more therapy-related content and coffee, obviously. I really like the podcast Girls' Night by Stephanie Mae Wilson. She yeah. went on the world race, which is the same thing I did several years ago. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. And she is really good. She has really good hosts and stuff. It's not like strictly about purity culture, but it's just like girls' night conversations. Um, that's probably my favorite podcast. I also really like Simplified. That's another podcast. And then on Instagram, I really like this account that's called Deconstructing Purity Culture. The mm-hmm. account owner is not a believer anymore. Okay. But it just has good information as far as like what that's looked like, history about it, um, things like that. But I'm sure there are plenty that are still like, you know, faith based. But I just found that account to be really like informative. But yeah, I definitely want to start sharing more about it. I've been getting some good like feedback. So good. I love that. Yeah, I yeah. think it was like the day that you shared about like one of your first posts or maybe a question box about purity culture that I was like, oh yeah, I don't want to go on the podcast. I'm so glad you asked. We could probably talk for hours. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, sweet. Well, before I die of a coughing <laughs> attack, um, I'm surprised I made it this far without losing losing it. But I always like to ask guests before they leave, what is just one piece of your heart that you hope that listeners leave with today? I would say that you know, no matter where you're at, as far as, you know, if you're just now realizing that you were a victim of purity culture, or if you've completely deconstructed, like, I just want to encourage you that, like, you're not broken, and you're not damaged, and that there is healing from this, and that you can find peace with, with God, with your sexuality, and with your body, and in your marriage, if that's a struggle, too. I would just encourage everyone. I know this is like really obvious, but go to therapy and like talk about yes. it with someone, like process it. I've I've found that to be really helpful for me. I've been seeing the same therapist for five years. So anyways, just remember that you're not damaged goods and you're not that crumpled up flower and there is healing that can be found. I love that. That's so good. And I think it's such a simple message, but it's one that we need to be re- reminded of every day. But, well, Brooke, thank you so much for coming on the episode today, just sharing, really just sharing your heart and soul with us. That was really vulnerable. And I really appreciate it when, like, you and other guests come on and just really are just real and authentic with our listeners. I think that's something that's really admirable and something that we don't really see very often in society, especially with social media and, you know just being fake sometimes. So I really appreciate your your vulnerability today. Thanks to everyone who joined us and listened. Just join us back next week for a new episode of Wholeheartedly Her. Bye, friends.